Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Jesus said, let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep rusters, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life. And so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my Father. This kind of talk caused another split in the Jewish ranks. A lot of them were saying, he's crazy, a maniac, out of his head completely. Why bother listening to him? But others weren't so sure. These aren't the words of a crazy man. Can a maniac open blind eyes? So as we continue through this journey in the Gospel of John, I wanted to spend two weeks on this section, John chapter 10, the first half. And to explain why that is, why we're going to spend two weeks on this one passage, I'm going to remind you of something I told you last week. The animal that is mentioned the most times in the Bible is a sheep. 400 times sheep are mentioned in the Bible. And most of the time that sheep are mentioned, they're used to describe, to illustrate you and me. Which is kind of depressing. If I went around today for everybody watching online or here in person, I asked you, hey, what animal do you want to represent you? I'm pretty sure I'd get a lot of different answers. Some people would say an owl, of course, because I'm super wise, you know, or a lion because they're majestic, an eagle because they're beautiful, deer because they're graceful, shark because it's menacing, you know, a grizzly bear because it's powerful. I don't think I would get a lot of sheep. I googled the world's favorite animal, by the way. World's favorite animal. You know what it is? Take a guess. If you're here for a service, you're not allowed. Dog. dog, yeah, dog. But specifically, what breed? 
Golden retriever. Golden retriever. Never, never had a golden retriever myself, but I get it. I really get it. You think, though, like out of all the animals that God could have used to describe you and me, that Jesus could have used to describe you and me, he picked the sheep. Now, on the surface, it's depressing, but it really got my attention. I started to ask myself, what is it? Like, what do you and me and sheep have in common? And so I took this first half of John chapter 10, and I came up with five things that you and me and sheep have in common. I went over two last week. I'm going to go over the last three this week. And I think when I do, we're not going to be depressed. I would suggest instead that we're going to be encouraged, inspired, and even challenged in the best possible way. So last week I told you that just like sheep, we need a flock. Just like sheep, we need a shepherd. Today I want to start with saying this, like, just like sheep, we need a gate. We need a gate. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven key I am statements. I am statements. In, in other words, Jesus steps off of the pages of history and says, good to meet you. Here's who I am. I want you to know me. Right? So in John chapter 6, we read that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then here we are in the first half of John chapter 10, and Jesus goes back to back. He gives us two. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And I remember years ago when I first read this passage, I thought, Jesus, with all due respect, I think you could space them out a little bit better. Like two in a row like that is a little bit confusing. And since I'm on a roll, I would be so bold as to say this. If you want to pick one of those two, go with good shepherd. The gate thing is kind of weird. But I got to thinking of the audience that Jesus was preaching to. See, for a Middle Eastern shepherd, this is super important. For a Middle Eastern shepherd, in the first century and even up to today, a good shepherd is a gate. See, what a shepherd in the Middle East would do is lead their flock to a place, a good pasture where they can graze, and they would stay there for a number of days. And every good pasture had a sheep pen on the side of it, and it was a fenced-off area to protect the sheep at night when the predators would come to attack. And so around dusk, a good shepherd would lead his sheep into the sheep pen where they would be safe. And after the last sheep entered the sheep pen, the good shepherd would lay down across the one opening to the sheep pen. As if to say, any predator that wants to come after my sheep will have to go through me. Say to a Middle Eastern shepherd in the first century, are you a shepherd or are you a gate? And they would say, I am both. See, I think there's something real specific and something real important that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and, and I am the gate. Jesus put himself in harm's way. Jesus says to the predators in your life, in my life, you can't get to him, you can't get to her without going through me. It got me thinking about maybe the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. It's Psalm chapter 23. About 3,000 years ago, God inspired a guy named David to write this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, there's another translation that puts it this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What's the darkest valley? What's the valley of the shadow of death? It's life. It's this life on this world that we live in. And and the truth is, there are predators in this world that we live in. We're broken people in a broken world, surrounded by other broken people. There are predators. In fact, the Bible teaches that there's a predator of your soul. The devil. And in John chapter 10, we see Jesus giving the devil a title, and that title is thief. The devil is a thief. So I want to talk about that just for a second. How does the devil plan to steal from you? How does the predator of your soul plan to steal from you? To explain that, I want to go back to the first book in the entire Bible, the book of Genesis. It tells a story about these two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Okay, Esau is the older brother, and Jacob is the younger brother, just by a couple minutes, you know? But it's really important that Esau is the older brother and Jacob is the younger brother because their father, Isaac, is a very, very wealthy, influential, and powerful man. And because Esau is the older brother, just by a couple minutes, he's going to receive what's called the birthright. And what that means, it means that he's going to receive twice the inheritance of his little brother, Jacob. And when their father, Isaac, dies, Esau is going to assume control of the family. So one day, Esau's out working on the fields. He comes in, and his little brother Jacob is making some stew. And Esau comes in and says, hey, Jacob, give me some of that stew. I'm really hungry. And Jacob says, no. No. Trade me your birthright. That's a terrible trade. Just give me your birthright, and I'll give you a bowl of stew. And Esau says, what do I care about a birthright? I'm like starving to death here. Just give me the bowl of stew. You can have the birthright. And Esau trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. Do you want to know how the predator of your soul will come to steal from you? That's how. That's how. He'll look to convince you over and over and over again, hey, 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 trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. Can I put that a different way? Trade the ultimate for the immediate. Trade the ultimate for the immediate. Trade your birthright for a bowl of soup. Let me give you a few examples. My wife Corinne and I have been married for just over 30 years now. Got married when I was seven, so that probably explains a lot. (laughs) But I figure something out. Like, I love her more today than I did back then. She's my best friend. And I, and, I, and I look at all our shared experiences, everything that we've been through together. I look at this family that, with God's help, we built. 
all our kids and all our kids-in-law and all the grandkids that are starting to come, even the home that we built, this sense of home that our family comes together and literally loves each other. And I think to myself, my relationship with Corinne, I would consider it the ultimate, the ultimate expression of human love for me, love between one person and another. It's the ultimate. I would go as far as to say, like, it's a beautiful birthright that God has given me. And yet the predator of our souls will come after us again and again and again and say this, hey, trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. Trade the ultimate for the immediate. In a moment of passion, in a moment of lust, in a moment of anger, in a moment of insecurity, in a moment of temptation, flush it. Trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. Trade the ultimate for the immediate. Parenting is a little bit like that. We talked about this last week. Kids can be difficult. They're not always easy, you know? A few months ago, Corinne stumbled across this quote, and I just love it. It says this, we're all fixing what is broken. It's the task of a lifetime. We will leave much unfinished for the next generation. Now, I know on the surface that might sound kind of depressing, but I find it so encouraging. Because I think about it like for Corinne and me, we're walking through this dark valley called life. You know, broken people in a broken world. And somewhere along, along the line, we invited God, would you please fix what's broken inside of me? Would you make me more whole than I was before? And so we run this race, we run this race, and God heals us up until eventually we take it a little bit further and then we hand the baton off to the next generation and we say, now you run. I would say the ultimate expression of purpose for me in my life is to look at my kids and say, man, you're so much further ahead of me when I was your age. I love that. I love that. In, in some ways, I would say that it's God's beautiful birthright to me as a dad. But the predator of your souls will come along always and say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you trade your birthright for a bull? Why don't you trade the ultimate for the immediate? In Canada today, just about 40% of little boys and little girls will go to bed in a house where their dad doesn't live. It's not just physical absence either. It's for so many of us, kids can be challenging. They're not always rewarding in the moment, right? And so it's a lot more fun. It's a lot easier to spend time on the golf course than it is to spend time with your kids or spend time at the gym or on the lake or wherever that it is to spend time with your kids. Or it can be work. On a lot of levels, it's a lot more rewarding to spend 80 hours a week at work than it is to invest in those little wingnuts. The predator of your soul comes along and says, hey, why don't you just trade the ultimate for the immediate? The greatest basketball coach who ever lived is a man named John Wooden, and he once said this, make each day, make each day your masterpiece. I think about that a lot. Make each day your masterpiece. The Bible says it this way, whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for God, not people, you know? Make every day your masterpiece. And, and to me, that's the ultimate expression of legacy. Just stack masterpiece on top of masterpiece on top of masterpiece 
on top, on top of masterpiece. That's how a legacy is built. But the predator of your soul shows up and says, why don't you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew? Just mail it in today. You're only in grade seven. Who cares? Don't try. Don't try at school. It's amazing. I talk to a lot of people lately and they say this. I'm doing a job right now, but it's not what I want to end up doing. You know what I mean? I got other plans. So I'm just kind of going through the motions in this job. And, and, and so I feel like sometimes it's really, really sad. You know why? Because our legacy is built not primarily on what we do. Our legacy will, will be built on how we do it. But the predator of your souls comes along and says, hey, here's what you need to do. Trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. Another title that the predator of your souls is given in the Bible is that of liar. Liar. And he's been telling the same lie generation after generation after generation after generation. It goes something like this. Hey, if you want to restore your soul, right? Psalm 23. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The predator of your soul will say this. You want to restore your soul? Just scratch the surface. It's all It's all good. You want to restore your soul? You want, you want to fix that longing deep down inside of you? Just scratch the surface. Because if you get enough sex, it'll be all good. If you get enough money, it'll be all good. If you get enough pleasure, it'll be all good. If you get enough possessions, it'll be all good. If you get enough trophies, it'll be all good. If you get enough power, it'll be all good. If you get enough prestige and popularity and success, you're going to be fine. It's real sad, though, because it doesn't work. There's something strange about you and me. There's something strange about people, right? Because we try to feed our souls by scratching the surface, right? And you would think to ourselves, you would think that eventually we would go, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. But people don't do that. What do we do instead? We double down. I've been trying and trying and trying to restore my soul by scratching the surface. It's not working. So I'm going to double down. And people get in bondage. It's sad because it's a generational thing. We watch generation after generation after generation drive around with bumper stickers that say whoever dies with the most toys wins, and it doesn't work. It's kind of like your mom. Your mom used to say to you, remember this? Hey, just because Fred jumped off a cliff doesn't mean you have to. Yeah, unless you're a sheep. Have you ever seen those videos of sheep, man? If the first sheep jumps off a cliff, what do all the other sheep do? Geronimo, there they go, jump off the same cliff, am I right? The predator of your souls, he comes as a thief, he comes as a liar, but his most deadly attack, his most destructive tactic is described in Revelation chapter 12. He comes as an accuser. There's a guy I used to work with, I still see him from time to time, he really makes me nervous. Every time I see him, because he's got this one phrase that he always uses, and that phrase is, who does that? <laughs> and, and so the context is always the same. He'll, he'll tell a story about something that somebody did, a neighbor, a coworker, an acquaintance, an extended family member, and he'll get to the end of the story and go, who does that? And the implication that he's making is this. Like, no one in their right mind would be stupid enough to do that. It makes me nervous, though, because a lot of times what he says is things that I can actually see myself doing. <laughs> you know, 
So he says, who, who does that? And I'm like, oh, me, probably. That's what the predator of your souls will do to you. It's his most effective, destructive attack. He shows up to the sheep pen that we call life, and he comes to you and he says, you, you've wasted years thinking you were going to restore your soul by scratching the surface? Oh, it's, it's way too late now. It's over. He comes to the sheep pen that we call life, and he says, hey, 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 you know what you did, right? You traded your birthright for a bowl of stew. You know what your birthright is? Your birthright is life. The cost is death. It's a price that someone's going to have to pay. And that's when we see that not only is Jesus the good shepherd, but he's also the gate. Do you see what I'm saying? Because when the predator of your soul shows up at the sheep pen that we call life and starts striding in to collect his price from you, that's when Jesus the good shepherd, the gate stands up and says, the cost is covered. The price is paid. I already paid it. He silences the voice of the accuser. And he sends him on his way. He's not just the good shepherd, he's the gate. And more than that, he comes to you and he says, it's not too late. You were scratching the surface for years, it's not too late. If you're not dead, God's not done. He's gonna redeem those lost years. And he comes to you and you say, well, you know what? There was that moment, there was that moment when I traded my birthright for a bowl of stew, and Jesus, the good shepherd, the gate comes to you and says, it's not over. Your story is not over yet because he's going to restore the birthright that you traded. So just like sheep, we need a flock, we need a shepherd, we need a gate, we need a voice. So sheep get a bad rap for being stupid because they are, okay, but... But they, but they have amazing abilities to remember and to recognize. So if a sheep goes wandering off, Jesus alludes to it in this passage, by the way, in John 10. If a sheep goes wandering off, if a sheep gets lost, you and me, we can call to our heart's content. That sheep will completely ignore us. If the shepherd calls, the sheep responds. I think that's so beautiful and so incredible because what I want you to know today is that Jesus, the good shepherd, he's still speaking. Sometimes he speaks through inclination. Some of you know that. Whether you're here in person or you're watching online, it's your first time in church or your first time back in a long, long, long time. Why are you here? What are you doing here? You woke up this morning and something told you, I need to go to church. I need to check out Southside. Here's why, because Jesus still speaks. He speaks through inclination, he speaks through invitation. He speaks through invitation. Time out. People ask me once in a while, they're like, Mike, what's the next big thing at Southside? <laughs> you know, because there always seems to be a big thing at Southside. Part of the consequence of having a lead pastor with ADHD who gets bored easily, okay? So what's, 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 what's the next big thing at Southside? And, and, and we're kind of used to that. We're kind of adrenaline junkies at Southside in a way, you know? 
What's the next big thing, right? Are we gonna buy a helicopter hangar? Are we gonna do for this city? We're we gonna raise $250,000 in two weeks to brighten everybody's Christmas. We're we gonna build a building. And man, I gotta tell you, like, I keep praying. I'm asking God, what's the next big thing? And here's his answer every time. Here's his answer to me every single time I pray. I say, God, what's the next big thing? The next big thing is invitation. That's the next big thing. So if Southside Church is your home, i.e. you've been here two or more weeks, okay? I wanna implore you that Jesus wants to speak to the people in your life through your life. Jesus wants to speak to the people in your life through your life. There's people that God has placed you close to and lately they've been walking around going, I think I might have traded my birthright for a bowl of stew. And they might be all made up and all look good on the outside, but deep down inside they're wondering what they've lost. Or maybe they're looking at their life right now and for the first time they look and they go, man, I've been trying to restore my soul by scratching the surface for week after week after month after month after year after year. And you know what? There's a voice of accusation telling them it's too late now. We talk a lot about God wants to use you to change this city. God wants to use me to change this city. We all do our part, right? But I think here's the biggest part that God has us to play in this next season, invite. Start asking God, God, who would you have me bring? I know Dave talked about it in regards to Easter. I love it, I love it, I love it. Let's get 45, let's get 5,000 people out for Easter, that's great. But, But can that be a part of our culture? We're saying, God, who, who do you want to change through me? Because I know you speak through me to others, so please do that. You say, well, Mike, I'm looking around right now. If I invite too many people, there's not a lot of room. There's not a lot of room in here. Well, we'll make room. I'll do a six-week series on money and giving, okay? It'll, it'll, you won't believe how much room we'll make. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'm, okay, I'm probably kidding. <laughs> No, we'll, hey, look, look it, look it, look it. We'll start another service. We'll start two. We'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. Okay, so time in. So for some of you, you're here. It's, you're watching online. You're here in person. And I don't know if you realized it until just now. God spoke to you through that person who invited you. Isn't that amazing? That God loves you so much that he spoke to them so that they could speak to you. Jesus still speaks through the Bible. Maybe you kind of pick up, picked up on that a few minutes ago when I read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And maybe there was something inside of you that was just filled with hope, you know? God speaks through conversations, people who love Jesus and love you. He speaks through your conscience. Jesus said, hey, after I ascend to heaven, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's gonna guide you. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit does that is through your conscience. As you're about to take a step, he says, hey, I think you might be about to trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. What a beautiful thing, you know? Or the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, you've been trying year after year after year to restore your soul by scratching the surface. Instead of doubling down, why don't we try something different? And that brings me to the fifth and final thing. Just like sheep, we need a flock, we need a shepherd, we need a gate, we need a voice. And just like sheep, we need to listen. We need to listen. 
throughout the gospel of John, Jesus keeps saying to these groups of people, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you like really listening? Other translations put it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus speaks truth. The great thing about truth is that it's true, right? You're like, wow, Mike, that's profound. You must have got the best education Red Deer Alberta offered. That's amazing. The great thing about truth is true. So let's say it a little bit different. It corresponds with reality. Does that make sense? Okay, so like after church today, we climb up on the building, and I'm like, I'm going to jump. It's going to be so, get a crowd over here. They're going to want to see this. It's going to be amazing. And you just lay a little bit of truth on me, maybe. You're like, hey, Mike, like a couple years ago, there was this guy named Isaac Newton. He came up with this thing called gravity, and Apple plonked him on the head. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. What goes up must come down. And so if you jump off the building, you're going to hurtle towards the earth at an ever-increasing velocity, and it's not going to end well. Huh. But that's a good thing about truth. It's true. It corresponds with reality. But there's a bad thing about truth, too. The bad thing about truth is sometimes it's way easier to live a lie than it is to live according to the truth. It's so much easier to live a lie sometimes than it is to listen, to listen, to listen. Jesus says, are you listening? Really listening. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, hey, you should forgive those people who have hurt you. Whoa. It actually corresponds with reality. I think we kind of get it on some level, don't we, that bitter people are miserable people? Let's go to they say, if you withhold forgiveness from a person, it's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the person who hurt you to die. It doesn't work. And yet, the predator of your soul will show up. And in this context, he will show up like a wolf in sheep's clothing. So Jesus says, are you listening? Are you listening? Really listening? Are you listening? Forgive those who have hurt you. The predator will show up as a wolf in sheep's clothing and will say, I don't think so. It's not a good idea, right? After everything they did to you, they don't deserve forgiveness. Like how weak would it be for you to let that person off the hook? How soft would it be for you to let that person off the hook? And Jesus stands and says, are you listening? Really listening. Because I'm telling you, you forgive that person, you're not letting them off the hook primarily, you're letting you off the hook. Because there's something beautiful that happens when you forgive. Instead of clutching on to the pain of your past, what happens is you can take hold of the beauty of today and the blessings of tomorrow. It's an amazing thing, but you gotta choose. You gonna listen? Really listen. Jesus said, if you are generous... You'll live a blessed life. Hmm. Well, does that correspond with reality? Well, I guess it does because generous people are grateful people and grateful people are joyful people. In fact, experts now say there's studies that show that generous people actually have an easier time of forgiving than non-generous people. You know why? Because they're used to living an open-handed life. But the predator of your soul will show up like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he will say, you worked hard for that money. That's yours. 
course, the Bible says that God gave you your melon, he gave you your muscles, he gave you the ability to produce wealth. But the predator of your soul will say, no, that's yours. And you know what? When you have a little bit more, when you have just a little bit more, then you can be generous. You don't have enough right now to be generous. Which, of course, isn't true. Statistically speaking, the more you have, the less you give. So either you're generous or you're not. And so Jesus stands and he asks you and he asks me, are you listening? No, like really listening. Because <laughs> this is what Jesus says. He says, when you are generous with your time, with your resource, with your talents, when you're generous, okay, you'll be a blessing. That's awesome. But listen to this. He says, and counterintuitively against all the rules that we see in this life that is the valley of the shadow of death, not only will you be a blessing, but you will be blessed. The question is, though, are you listening? Really listening. Jesus was having a conversation once with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. It's recorded in, in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. And it should be noted, by the way, that you're part of the world, <laughs> right? Okay, in, in other words, you can insert your name there if you want. No, no, but listen to this, because Jesus says, are you listening? Really listening. For God so loved the world, insert your name, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then the predator of your soul shows up and says, come on. He'll come after you with two attacks. Number one will be this. You don't need anyone to save you. You're doing just fine on your own. Of course, somewhere deep inside, we know that is not true. If the standard of salvation is perfection, I'm not there and I'm never going to be. If the standard of salvation is perfection, like a perfect eternity where perfect people go to spend perfect eternity, I'm not there and I never will be. You know why? Because there's things that I said that I shouldn't have said. There's things that I've done that I shouldn't have done. And there's no amount of good deeds that I can do right now to undo what I already did. I need help. But then the predator of your soul will come with his most destructive attack. And that's accusation. John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, and the predator of your soul says, yeah, 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 the world, right, but not you. <laughs> Come on, are you kidding me? After all the times that you traded your birthright for a bowl of stew, he might love everyone else in the world, but he don't love you. That he gave his one and only son, and the predator of your soul stands up and says, Jesus came and died and rose again for everyone else in this room, but not for, hey, how many years 
How many years were you scratching the surface, chasing the things of this world, trying to restore your soul? Come on, man. It's true for everybody else, but it is not true for you. And I feel like Jesus says to some of us today, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, are you listening? Are you listening? Really listening, because for God so loves you. I still remember 19 years old, in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I came to what I refer to as the end of myself. You know what that is? That's that moment when the accusation has, had beaten me down so much that all I was was fear. All I was was self-hatred. That's all that was left of me. I came to the end of myself and the voice of the accuser just kept talking. But then I got there. And I looked up at this place called the end of myself and Jesus was right there. See, he's the good shepherd, but he's also the gate. When I think about that day, there's a story that comes to me, a story that Jesus also told in the gospel of Luke chapter 15. He, he talks about a good shepherd and the, the shepherd that he's talking about, by the way, is himself, okay? So anyways, there's this shepherd, and li listen to this. There's this shepherd, and he's got 100 sheep. 100 sheep. You know what? 99 of those sheep are awesome sheep. They're just great. They always behave themselves. They go where they're supposed to go. They do what they're supposed to do. They are really well-behaved sheep. But this one wingnut sheep, right? He's got 100. 99 are awesome sheep. This one wingnut just won't do anything right. Reminds me a lot of someone that I know, Dutch guy from Red Deer, standing on a stage right now. Yeah, okay, got it. And, and so this one sheep wanders away until he's just a pool of self-hatred and fear. This one little sheep wanders away to the darkness and into danger. And so you think to yourself, mathematically speaking, no big deal, right? Like you still got 99 well-behaved sheep. But here's the crazy thing about the shepherd. The crazy thing about this shepherd is he, he leaves the 99 sheep safe in the pen, and what does he do? He goes looking for that one lost sheep. What? Yeah. See, I don't know who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, but sometimes I think that your picture of the good shepherd is he's gonna find you in danger and in darkness, and the only thing he's gonna say is, well, how do you like that? That's what you get. And walk away. But he doesn't do that. The story that Jesus tells says he, he picks that lost sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, and brings that wingnut sheep home. Let's pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please. So my question for you right now is just simple. How are you? How are you? I wonder if deep down inside lately you've been kind of feeling like you traded your birthright for a bowl of stew. And I guess the message that Jesus would have me give you today is he wants to restore what's been stolen. Or maybe deep down inside you would say that you've been running and running and running and trying to restore your soul by scratching the surface. 
and you're in a place of bondage and a place of defeat right now, I guess what Jesus would want me to tell you is that he wants to redeem those lost years. Or I wonder if the truth is you've been hearing the voice of the accuser. You might be really well put together on the outside, but inside, he's been yapping at you. He's been speaking to you, saying that you're a lost cause and that it's over and all is darkness and all is despair. And I think Jesus wants me to tell you today that he wants to silence the voice of the accuser in your life once and for all. This is not something that you achieve. Everything that needed to be done for your salvation. Jesus called it in this passage in John 10, real, eternal, and abundant life. Real, eternal, and abundant life. Everything that needed to be done for that, he's already achieved. All you need to do is receive it. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I wanna pray for you right now. I wanna pray for you right now if that's you. You wanna just raise your hand right now, nice and high if you don't mind. Amazing. If you're online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand also. Something powerful about an outward expression of an inward commitment. If your hand is raised, you can put it back down. I'm just gonna pray out loud and I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you laid down your life for me. So I invite you today, Jesus, to be my savior. I pray that you would bring me past my past. Forgive my sins, heal my hurts. And Jesus, I thank you that just as you rose, your invitation is that I would rise too. Give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time. Today, tomorrow, real and eternal life. And Jesus, for all of us here, no matter how long we've been following you, I wanna thank you. May we never, ever, ever, ever lose our sense of gratitude. Thank you. And so Jesus, I ask you right now that you would begin to give us all a sense of purpose. We're so thankful that you've called us. into a marriage for some of us, into a family for some of us, into a neighborhood, into this city, into this world, because you have a plan to bring your light, to bring your hope through us. We thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. Have I told you lately that I love you? Because I do. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.